Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Thursday, November 28th, it is Thanksgiving Day, and we are studying Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 20. We're in the second day now of looking at the readings that are appointed in the lectionary for the day of Thanksgiving. This text from Philippians 4 is the epistle reading that many of us heard last night during a Thanksgiving Eve worship service, or we'll still hear today at a Thanksgiving Day worship service. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us Pastor John Busman. Pastor Busman serves at St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Cullman, Alabama. Pastor Busman, welcome to Sharper Iron. Thank you so much for having me this morning. So, Pastor Busman, uh, we're, we're just picking up here in Philippians chapter 4, just like we do on a, a Sunday morning or a Wednesday evening. Sometimes there's just not a lot of context. You just hear a reading from, from the sacred scriptures. And so we're hearing from Philippians chapter 4 today. So help us set the context of that epistle, uh, what's going on with Paul's life, what do we need to know about Philippi, and, and all of that, those context things that will, will help us dig into this text today. Sure. Uh, yeah, that's always so important, um, like you said, with worship and, you know, in the context of the divine service, you, you hear the reading and you kind of move on, and if it's not preached on, that's that's really all you get. Uh, but especially here with Paul's letters, it's, it's really important to uh, figure out where he is, where he's been, uh, what year it is. Of course, Rome got quite chaotic there in the mid-50s and, and 60s. Uh, but to help us with the context, we can look back into the book of Acts, and uh, we see in Acts chapter 15 that uh, the Jerusalem Council has just happened, and that's about 49 uh, A.D., which I bring up because uh, it's during Claudius's reign in Rome, uh, so Nero hasn't quite taken over yet, uh, but Paul... Um, actually is going to meet the Philippians uh, at the beginning of his second missionary journey uh, there in uh, the fall-ish of 51 A.D. And if you follow along in Acts, you see that uh, in chapter 16, Paul uh, uh, and Silas are joined there by Timothy, and they go into Macedonia, which is the region where uh, Philippi is is located, and that's where you get the account of the conversion of uh, of Lydia, and where uh, they they cast out the demon uh, from the uh, from the girl and the, the owners. You know they they get they get mad and put them in prison. There's an earthquake, the doors open, and and uh, and those familiar stories. So that's that's Paul's experience. Then with the Philippians, very early on, uh, second missionary journey, um, fall of 51 A.D. Now, when he's writing Philippians, this is at the very end uh, of his, uh, I guess, quote-unquote career in ministry, right? He's on his so-called fourth missionary journey, which is really just his journey to Rome to uh, be imprisoned and uh, eventually put to death. Uh, so he's writing Philippians very late, uh, really almost 10 years later, 61 or 62 AD, he'll be killed in 64. So it's uh, the last letter that he that he writes. But you see in Philippians uh, that he loves and he cherishes uh, these people, and, and the context of this letter begins to really describe the relationship that they've had from the beginning until until right here at the very end. So he met the Philippians 10 years earlier during that second missionary journey. It was a very joyful experience. That word joy comes out a lot in the book of Philippians, and it's, it's going to be in the text that we're looking at today. But by the time he writes this letter... Things have things have changed for him. He's he's in prison, as you said, 
and yet, and I think I think both of those things together, the contrast between when he originally visited Philippi and the church was founded, that, I mean, just to, to put it simply, that's a high for Paul. And now when he's writing the letter, he's in prison. So that's a, a low for Paul to use. I mean, right. We do highs and lows in our family with our kids. So that's how we, we think about those things, right? So in his career, he's, sure. he's two extremes. And, and yet in the, in the letter to Philippians, I think, I mean, I really think that helps us set the context for what we're going to hear today because Paul's going to talk about extremes. And yet what's the, what's the constant thing in the midst of it all? It's, it's Christ who, who gives us strength. Any other, any other thoughts in, in terms of that? That's a good historical setup. What about just in terms of the, the letter in general, Pastor Busman? I mentioned joy already as one of the themes of Philippians. Anything else that's in Philippians itself as a, an epistle that we should know before we jump into this text? Well, I, I just think that that's, so, that's such a crucial thing with the context of it all, that, that with everything that's happened in Paul's life in his, in his ministry uh, from beginning to end, you know, if he's sitting in prison knowing that, that very soon he's going to die, you would really expect a very different letter. You know, I wonder what mm. would be going through my mind. And, you know, right there in chapter one, he thanks God for them, uh, for their partnership in the gospel. And, and, and right there in, in chapter one, he's already talking about rejoicing. You can see him contemplating, uh, wanting to depart to be with Christ, but he knows that remaining in the flesh, it's, it's, uh, it's better for them because he can continue to proclaim the gospel to them. And this theme of rejoice, rejoice, rejoices all the way through. And what a, uh, what a testimony to, to the apostle Paul or for where he is, um, at this point, knowing full well what's to come. Mm. So that that theme of joy is going to come up in the text that we've got before us today. And again, as I mentioned, Pastor Bestman, the lectionary appoints Philippians 4 verses 6 through 20 for the text that we will hear in worship. But Paul's thought really starts in verse 4 of that chapter. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to go ahead and start there in verse 4 and then read all the way through verse 20 for us to look at this morning. So again, Philippians 4, verses 4 through 20. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me. But you had no opportunity, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, No church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. That's the text for Thanksgiving, the epistle reading that is appointed, Philippians 4, starting in verse 4, going through verse 20. So, Pastor Busman, starting where we started at least, feel free to to comment as you you want on verses 4 and 5 as then we move into 6 and following. But here's that theme of joy, right? Rejoice in the Lord always. But I think, and I I don't want to temper these things, 
But there's a couple verses in here, that one in particular, and, and one that's coming up later, verse 13, where I think we sometimes take them out of context, um, but we need to, to hear them in context. Uh, Pastor Busman, start taking us that opening paragraph that we've got today. All right, so re- rejoice in the Lord always. Uh, and, and like you said earlier, we're going to see the dynamics of, of where Paul has been in his life. So, all, you know, always at all times. Uh, and, and again, um, he says, rejoice. Let your reasonableness or your, your, your kindness, uh, your gentleness be known to everyone. And I think the, the, the whole point of this is the why. Why? Because the Lord is at hand. The Lord is near. Uh, you'll also see this text uh, show up in the historic lectionary on the fourth Sunday of Advent, uh, which you know really throws you into the into that kind of context about the nearness of God as we as we look to celebrate the nativity uh, of our Lord. But there's 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 a, a mindset difference as he'll get to later of the Christian, whether in plenty or nothing, whether free or in prison, uh, that Christians are called to carry themselves uh, differently. Uh, Rejoicing doesn't just mean kind of bouncing around bubbly giddy all the time. Uh, we, we We have joy in something that is greater, uh, that, that whatever happens to us in this life, uh, Christ has overcome it. And, uh, and, and Paul knows this and, and has repeated this through the letter over and over and over. Um, and again, you look at where he is in his life, what's about to happen, and he's putting that in his mind, too, as he's writing to the Philippians, and, and, and that comes out through these four chapters especially. Mm. That that word rejoice, I, I think it is is good for us to understand it in its context again. And I like the way you said it. It's not bubbly or giggly, uh, but maybe words more like confidence or calmness. You know, there's those shirts, be calm and whatever. And that, that's not exactly it. Um, be comforted, maybe, are, are ways that, that we could better understand it than just some sort of it's not just an emotion. Certainly there's an emotion involved, but it's not only an emotion. It's something that that goes above that. It passes understanding, as Paul will say about the peace of God later. Uh, but right. And so feel, feel free to comment more on that if you want. But I also want to dig or just hear you talk a little bit more about the Lord is at hand or the Lord is near. And I, I like that you brought up the Advent text. I think sometimes we hear these words, and I know I've probably heard these before, the Lord is at hand. Maybe we're thinking more like what Jesus says in Matthew 28, lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age. But I think there's, it's a slightly different nuance here. Not so much that Jesus is with you, although it's true, but rather the Lord is at hand. He's coming again soon. Is that, is that more of the nuance that we need to hear here with Philippians I, chapter four? I, I, think, I think we do. And, and I love the word that you use with rejoice as, as comfort. And, and the, these kinds of words immediately throw us into the context of uh, Isaiah 40. Mm-hmm. And you look at those, you know, those chapters where Isaiah is speaking comfort to the ones who would be in exile in Babylon. You know, um, confidence, right? Uh, contentment, as, as mm-hmm. Paul will say, uh, say later, comfort. Uh, that even even when things aren't going great according to the world or to the way that we think that they should, uh, whether the Thanksgiving table is is full and all the chairs are uh, have uh, people in them, or uh, the complete other side, where do, where does God desire us to be uh, content? comforted uh, where only in him, uh, in his word, because he is near. Um, he is coming again uh, and, and to make all things new. So this, this is where Paul starts this, uh, this final section of the letter, and I think it's, I think it's fantastic uh, what, he's, what he's done for, uh, to, to bring everything back together. So that, as you pointed out, 
the Christian carries himself differently because of that. And that, that is where Paul then takes this matter as he, he says, the Lord is at hand. Then, well, how does that influence the way that the Christian carries himself in this world as we see Paul move forward into verses 6 and 7? Uh, with the anxiousness, and, and he's echoing Jesus uh, in, in one place here uh, in the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus says, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body or what you'll put on. Life is more than food. The body's more than clothing. And then he calls on the things of creation. Look at the birds of the air. Uh, they, uh, what, they don't sow or reap or gather anything, but the Father feeds them. And look at you. Are you not more valuable than they? Um, Who, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his life? Why are you anxious about clothing? Why are you anxious about the simple things? So, you know, Paul here says, don't be anxious about anything. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, there's your word, let your requests be made known to God. So rather than uh, sitting around um, worrying, being anxious, just wondering how in the world things are going to to work out and and giving that wide open door for for Satan to uh, make things worse, uh, especially mentally for you, um, he says, let your request be made known to God. Um, and notice, too, that when Jesus brings this up in the Sermon on the Mount, all, all it is is first article stuff, food, uh, clothing, right? So in, in, the, in the creed, um, the first article, uh, Luther talks of, of creation. He's given me my body and soul, eyes, ears all my members, my reason, and my senses, and he still takes care of them. Key phrase there. He gives me clothing and shoes, food and drink, house and home, wife, children, land, animals, and all that I have. He daily and richly uh, provides me with all that I need to support this body and life. He defends me against all danger and guards and protects me from all evil. All this he does out of fatherly divine goodness and mercy without any merit or worthiness in me. For all this, it is my duty to thank, praise, serve and obey him. So he does all these things and, and so much more. Um, so Paul tells these Philippians, encourages these Philippians to uh, let these prayers, let these supplications, that, that's an interesting word too. It carries undertones of, of uh, humility hmm. that uh just by the simple act of prayer, we are reliant on someone else. Uh, we're, we're recognizing that we can't take care of things. Um, maybe, maybe this is a reason that, that people sometimes find it difficult to pray. I know, I know sometimes we, we struggle with the words to say, but sometimes we like to hold on and say, maybe if I just give it one more shot, everything will work out. Um, prayer is, is a is a very humble way to say, look, I, I, I can't I can't do this anymore. Um, you know, and not that God was was hands off when we thought we were all hands on, but um, but the God of creation uh, is still taking care of us, whether uh, again whether free or or in prison, uh, as, yeah. as Paul knows full well. Yeah, the prayer prayer is the opposite of anxiety here, contextually, as as we see here in the verse. But but just as you're pointing out, right, that that when I stop to pray, it's a recognition that my worrying and even even the the work ultimately, it it's all God's doing, and and placing it, realizing that it's been in His hands all along, and, and you know you you brought up the Sermon on the Mount and and how and and that's earlier in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus gives the Lord's Prayer, you know, he, he says that, the, and this is always very striking to me, but it, it's very comforting, I think, that that the reason that we should pray according to Jesus is that he already knows, God already knows what we, we need, so ask him for it, right? right. And, and it's it's a similar thing going on here with, with Paul, too, right? You know, he knows what you need, so let your request be made known to God. And, and then 
his his answer, I think, finally is is verse seven that his peace that passes understanding that's what's going to guard you. That's what's going to keep you all in in Christ. Uh, thoughts, Pastor Busman? Right, uh, and, and you know your your hearers will will have found that Philippians four seven familiar because it's often what closes a a sermon, right? And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So th- this this peace that passes all understanding, um, it, it passes understanding because who 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 knows the, the mind of God when uh, to to think that you know Paul in prison um if if for nothing else what he deserves for for being a sinner and what we deserve for rightly or rightly deserve for for being sinners yet yet God um becomes flesh and makes us dwelling among us and and takes that punishment upon the cross for us, um, that is beyond uh, any understanding that that we could have how in the world, why in the world um, he 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 would do that. Of course, you know we have the 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 phrases and and the the terms for that, but but out of his uh, steadfast love, uh, he he did this for us, and that, what an interesting phrase this is. That piece is what guards hearts and minds. This word uh, uh, guard uh, means to, to hold in custody. Hmm. Who knows better uh, what it means to be held in custody than, than Paul? And he, you know, he, he's got two ways of looking at things at this point. He can be looking at, uh, woe is me. I'm going to die, and this is the end of my life, and where is God? How could God do something like this to me? He says, no, Christ came, he died, he rose again. Uh, there, there's no need to be anxious. There's no need to worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough enough worry in and of itself, right? There, back to the mm-hmm. Sermon on the Mount. The thing that guards me is not the Roman standing at the door. The thing that guards not only my heart, but my mind especially is that peace that I now have with God because of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. Hmm. I, I don't know how many times I've read this text and I've, I've never picked up on that prison imagery before with the, the guarding idea, which is just a, a wonderful, I mean, ju- yeah, just picture Paul writing this with guards standing right there in front of him. And, and he says, what, what really guards my heart, what guards my mind is, is this peace of God that I have because Christ has died and risen for me. That's just, that's an amazing image that Paul puts in front and of us here. Go ahead, Pastor If you go Postman. back to Acts, that's what, that's what shocks everyone. You go back to the Philippian jail. That's what blows the jailer's minds is, you know, doors are blown open and they don't move. Mm, like what, right. what is with these people? There's, there's something different about these people. Wow. So, yeah. And that, and that's, that's in Philippi, right? Is that, that is that it? That scene, yeah, the Philippian jailer. Yeah, that, wow. That is, that, okay. Yeah. That, that, yeah. Is in, that is in Philippi. Wow. You know? So you see, you see them with jails at different times. So it's right. Wow. That's that. Wow. That's a really that's a really good catch, man. That that's that's awesome, Pastor Busman. So we've got two minutes here before the break, and I want to just at least get an introduction then into verse verse eight and nine. Again, I think words that are fairly familiar. And you get this long list of of whatever is true, honorable, et cetera. Paul says, think about these things and then start putting things into practice. Give us just an introduction to verses 8 and 9 before the break, Pastor Bussman. Sure. True, honorable, righteous, holy, pleasing, commendable, virtuous, and praiseworthy. Uh, and, and, And telling these Philippians to put their mind. Right, God's got the heart, but it's the mind that begins to throw people into this um, vicious circle of anxiousness. It's the mind that the devil goes after to uh, doubt and question and things like this when when things don't necessarily look the way we think they should. Um, so, um, the, this list of eight things that Paul says to uh, to put into the mind. Are, uh, are very, very important as we look to the, to the next section. 
Hmm. So the the thought here again is it, we're still continuing with this idea of of guarding, right? So guarding your right. hearts and your minds, the peace of God, these things that are are true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and commendable, excellent, praiseworthy. These are all in involved then in the guarding that God would do for us in his son, Christ Jesus. We'll go ahead and take that break here on Sharper Iron. You're listening to us on Thanksgiving Day, looking at Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 20, the appointed epistle reading for the day. We're going to take a short break, but we'll be right back. Please stick around. Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233, 800-843-5233. Welcome back to Sharper Iron on this Thursday, November 28th, Thanksgiving Day, as we're looking at Philippians 4, verses 6 through 20 with Pastor John Busman of St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Coleman, Alabama. Pastor Busman, prior to the break, we'd begun to look at verses 8 and 9 here in the text, this list of, of whatever is true, honorable, and, and so forth. I want, and feel free to, to comment more on these verses, but, but one, I, one thing that I, I wonder about this is, you know, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, what, what are the things that he's talking about that are true and honorable and just, lovely, commendable? What, what sort of things does he have in mind here? You know, is it, is it lovely like, oh, that's a, that's a beautiful sunset? Or, I mean, wh- what exactly does he have in mind? It seems, it, it seems sometimes I think you could just sort of, it seems very abstract. Um, so right. h- help me out with that. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I, I don't know, I may, I may have some, uh, some disagreement here uh, amongst the brethren and, and, and that's fine, but he does, from my perspective, he does kind of leave this open, you know, whatever mm-hmm. is true, um, honorable, you know, worthy of respect, righteous, holy, uh, pleasing, lovely, you know, so if it's a sunset, you know, what does the sunset do but point you to the Creator? Um, the the virtuous things, praiseworthy things. Um, for me, he, he, he gives such a list, these, this list of, of eight things. Um, and I'm spinning kind of back to this anxiousness thing because it's, it's one thing to tell somebody, oh, don't be anxious. Like, we... we you might not struggle with anxiety, you know. Don't oh, just don't do that. Well, it's a lot easier said than than done with these things, um, especially when all you have to do is sit and think. Um, when 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 you sit and uh, are, are perhaps idle, uh, the the devil loves that. He'll have us questioning. Um, whether or not God loves us. But yeah, I know the Bible says for God so loved the world, but man, that doesn't feel like me right now. Uh, so the, these things are, are constantly, wherever the scriptures can, can catch you with these words, so whatever is true, well, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's the first thing that comes to mind uh, for me. Whatever is honorable or worthy of respect or or uh, righteous. What is the word he uses there? Just, right? Same word, just and 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 uh, and, and righteous. And this, I have to be careful if I spin through Isaiah because I'll never come out. But it uh, throws Isaiah all over the wall for me. And there's all sorts of uh, different sections that 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 pop up there. But but pleasing, you know, whatever is. Uh, I've got to go back to the text and see what what the translations are, whatever is commendable, lovely, pure. Uh, There's all sorts of themes that run through the scriptures on purity, uh, 
cleanliness. And what, what does Jesus say about those things um, in Mark chapter 7? That what goes into a person does not defile him, but what comes out of a person is that which um, defiles him. And then Jesus goes on to do these uh, good things for people that the Pharisees see completely as completely unworthy to uh, receive them, like that Canaanite woman who uh, has the demon-possessed daughter. So from my perspective, these words are are more all-encompassing of the scriptures than than anything. I mean, you know, I could go um, for a while on just different, different things from the scriptures that pop into my mind when I'm, when I'm reading these things, but you see, you see what it's done. It's captured my mind Mm. on the things of God instead of the way the devil wants to twist those things of God, which spins me back into some sort of anxiousness or, um, you know, yes, I know I, I know I hand quote unquote handed those things over to God, but God's not working. So I'm just going to kind of take them back and work them out for myself for a little while longer, and then maybe hit rock bottom again, and then start the cycle all over. Um, so think about those things. It's more than just kind of this philosophical sitting in the corner um, thinking, right? But but it, it pulls us back into the context of who God is what he has done, uh, this first article, um, uh, these first article gifts that, that, uh, that God gives to us. Uh, and, and so we, we, you could, you could go a number of different ways from my perspective. And, you know, I guess that's a good conversation for, for a circuit conference or <laughs> something like this. Sure. Sure. And, and, but, and but not I, to, I mean, I not to go, well, just let me real real quick because I, I think I I really like the way you put it though that that it's we don't need to be too specific about it. It, it can be very open ended, but but you still centered it for us in the scriptures. Wherever we find these things in the scriptures in God's word, that's that's where we want to find these things, not just sort of generic out there somewhere, but in God's word. And wherever we see these things from God's word, and and for in my mind, you know, I'm thinking through like through the catechism, you know, the, what are, what are the good things, the true things that are there in the, the 10 commandments and in the creed and in the Lord's prayer for me, these are the things that I'm going to be thinking about. And that's, I mean, that's a wide, wide variety of things that God has given in those. And, and I love to not just philosophically thinking, but again, to keep it in the context of the, the prayer and the supplication that, it, you know, this is, that's what it means to think on these things, to, to ask God for these good things and know that he's going to answer, answer these prayers. So I think, no, I, I think that, I think that's a really, really helpful comment that, that you made, Pastor Busman. And, and yeah, we can, we can leave it to our brothers in the, the circuit winkles to, to figure out other details. But I, I no, I, I really think that's very helpful. And then, yeah, but I know we want to keep moving through the text. So, um, so verse, right. verse nine, then, right. Paul says, what you've learned, received, heard, seen in me, practice these things. So, so just kind of tie this section up for us before we move on to the, the next. Right. So, and this is, this is another kind of maybe uh, red flag thing for, for some people, whatever you would expect Paul to say, whatever you've learned, received, heard, and seen in Christ. Right. Practice these things. But he says, whatever you've learned, received, heard, and seen in me. Right. These, these Philippians, there's a, there's a really, really good chance that these Philippians were not in Jerusalem when Jesus was there. I mean, imagine mm-hmm. that. Imagine living at the time of Jesus, yet not having seen Jesus. And, and this, is, this is most likely where these Philippians were. Their example is Paul. So Paul better be on his game and be following Christ, so that what they see in Paul, they're, you know, it's like, like links or uh, like cars in a train, right? Christ is the engine Paul's behind him and the Philippians are behind him. So by imitating Paul, in turn, they're, they're also imitating Christ. But they can see how Paul, especially at the end here in the fourth missionary journey, going all the way back 10 years before, they've seen how Paul has dealt with stuff. And he's saying, do that, because that's mm-hmm. what Christ, uh, that's what Christ does. And then he says, and the God of peace, again, peace, uh, opposite of anxiety, will, uh, will, will be with you. Practice is a good word, too. You can't master it. 
right? <laughs> so uh, do yes. these things over and over and over and over and over again, um, and, and this God of peace will be will be with you. Hmm. So Paul moves from the the God of peace being with you. Then he he begins to we get this joy theme coming up, and now he begins to speak more specifically about these highs and lows, the extremes that he's gone through in his ministry. Pastor Busman, what do we what do we start to see as Paul moves on into verse ten and following? Now there's an interesting there, uh, there's an interesting uh, uh, use of uh, in Hebrew, and it's called it's called a merism. And it takes two extremes. So rather than listing off a bunch of things, it gives you the extreme on one end and the extreme on the other end. And it includes everything in between. It's intended to include everything. And Paul's giving us the extremes here. But basically, these extremes are all encompassing. So, But he says, uh, I, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. Uh, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity. Uh, and he said, whatever situation I am, to be content. Uh, this contentment kind of goes back to this rejoicing, comfort, uh, being content, uh, which, you know, you brought up the catechism as the ninth and tenth commandment about coveting, right? It's, it's this contentment. Um, I know how to be brought low. Here are the extremes. Be brought low and abound. Uh, in every circumstance, I have learned the secret of plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And then he gets into that, uh, <laughs> into, into the, the one that the football players put on their eye black, uh, Philippians 4.13. And again, why context is so important. Where is Paul? He's, he's, he's in jail. He's at the end of his life. Um, so if we're reading this as you can do all things, uh, you know, run a marathon in under an hour or whatever, uh, I think, well, I don't think I know that we're missing the point of Paul because there's a ton that Paul can't do right now. And you're not about to say that Paul's not in Christ or Christ is not uh, in him. He can do all things. He can be brought low. Uh, he can be or he can abound, uh, he can have plenty, he can be hungry, and everything in between, and he can be content no matter what. Why? Because his mind is not on the things that are below, uh, but on the things that are, uh, are above, knowing that whatever he faces, um, Christ has conquered it. Jesus himself says, Take heart, I have overcome the world. Um, Paul's only concern is proclaiming the gospel to as many people as possible before he loses his head. This is his struggle at the beginning of Philippians that I, that I mentioned earlier about, you know, to depart to be with Christ is, is, is greater, but it's of your benefit that I stay here and continue to proclaim the gospel. Um, so if... So if, if well, I was say if I was going to go back to the Philippians four thirteen because that is one of the verses that I think many are going to recognize out of out of this text. If it doesn't belong on eye black for a football player, or or if that's a misuse or an, an a failure to understand the context of it, how how do we take that and and apply that to ourselves today? I think we. I, I think uh, my immediate thought is to is to look at our baptism, hmm. um, knowing that we are in Christ, knowing that the things of this world are not going to. I mean, uh, you know, Paul in, in Romans eight, nothing will separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus, and he, he lists the things there. Uh, Whatever we face in this world, wherever people find themselves, if in Christ um, there there is a there is a new creation awaiting. There is perfection. There is restoration. Another uh, another word for that: comfort, contentment, rejoicing. There is ultimately restoration coming for us. 
And this is what, what else could give you contentment sitting in prison, but knowing that Christ has overcome the world and that through his death and resurrection and through uh, water in the word over you, you in turn have overcome the world too, because you are in Christ. Um, so it's not, it's not for me that it doesn't necessarily belong on I black. Uh, I would, I would like to see it on I black of somebody who's done for the season, you know? Right. Uh, and, yeah. have that, and have that be the, and have that, the, the continued proclamation, um, and, and, and what, what a witness that would be. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. See it, see it on the guy whose, whose season is done, whose career is done and there's no chance that he's coming back that. Yeah. I, I think that, I think that's a better, not that, right. I mean, it's not wrong to have this on your eye black, <laughs> but, right. but just to, to, to recognize. Football, you have to be careful getting into football with this old uh, <laughs> down here. That's right. We got two on the sideline. <laughs> well, yeah, that's right. You know, but I mean, so yeah, to, to see it in that context though, that it's, it's not a, this, this verse isn't somehow um, a guarantee that you will win the game or right. finish the, the race, you know, finish the race of, of, whatever the marathon, right. But, but rather that no matter what happens in the football game or in the marathon, that, that you are in Christ by virtue of your baptism. And because of that, the new creation is awaiting you. And, and that is your hope that that's what brings contentment to every situation when you're on the sidelines for the rest of the season, for the rest of your career, or whether you're in prison awaiting execution, that's that's where this verse comes into play. And so, sure, you know, put it on your eye black, put it on your on your jersey, but don't take it off when you lose the game. That's when you need it right. the most. That's ex- that's exactly right. Uh, and but see, and and back to the, back to the thinking about these things. That's when you want to rip it off the quickest. And that's when we start to doubt that maybe maybe I'm not really in Christ. Maybe I haven't done enough. Maybe, and all these questions start popping up in our faith, right, in our life, rather than remembering and, and knowing and being confident that, that no, there, there, are, there are things that are much greater. Uh, don't be anxious about clothing and food, uh, right, Jesus says, and, and, and we repeat. Uh, there the, this, this life uh, in this world is, is so short. Uh, but we have eternity, and and uh, and Paul knows that, and wants mm-hmm. the Philippians and us to know it too. Mm-hmm. So as the text continues, then into verse fourteen and following, it, it seems that Paul starts to bring up a a particular situation that he's he's uh, some history that he's had with the Philippians, and he talks about them sharing right. in his trouble. What what's going on there? As he continues in the letter. Yeah, uh, yeah, he, he goes straight from being able to do all things to remembering trouble. So there's you another one. He says, uh, from you yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, this is the same phrase that's used in Mark chapter 1, verse 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul's simply referring to the beginning of his missionary journeys here. Uh, when he left Macedonia, so on that second missionary journey, he uh, he leaves uh Philippi, and he's headed out, and he goes into uh, Thessalonica, and what was going on in Thessalonica uh, is something that the Philippians are going to remember very well uh, hearing about, and Paul, too. The very next chapter in Acts, where we left off after the Philippian jailer, Acts chapter 17, Paul talks about where he's going on his journey and he goes into the synagogue to proclaim Jesus Christ risen from the dead. And the Jews get jealous. They form a mob. They set the city in an uproar, and they attack the house of, of a guy named uh, Jason. And they get everybody stirred up, and they say, these men have turned the world upside down, and now they're here. Uh, so so there's, a, there's a mob there in Thessalonica. So, you know, Paul writes this at the end of his letter. He's like, you remember what happened in Tesla and I get there? Yeah, yep, we do. And, uh, but they were there with, they were there with him for that. So when Paul says, you know, you've been here from the beginning, 
you you've seen this kind of stuff happen to me before. It hasn't it hasn't been great according to the world. Yet you are the ones who are supporting me. You are the ones who are praying for me. You are the ones who were uh, rejoicing with me uh, through it all. Right. So even in Thessalonica, you sent help for my needs once and again, over and over. Um, but he said, not, not that I seek the gift, but the fruit uh, that increases to your credit. Um, I've received full payment more. I'm, I'm well supplied. I love how he talks about himself in, in prison, being well supplied. Having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice and acceptable to uh, and 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 pleasing to God, uh, so that he he's got this. You you read letters like First Corinthians and Galatians, and you can see just Paul. You're really getting fired up at them, and and Philippians takes such a different tone. Um, not that there's not encouragement or hope in the others. There's plenty of that. But, mm. uh, but I, I really think that Paul sees the Philippians more, you know, in a familial, like, you, you know, you're, 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 not that the others aren't, again, but, but you know, y'all have been here with me the whole time, beginning mm. to end, and you, and you, and you didn't leave, uh, no right. matter what happened. Right. Yeah. They've, they've cared for him while he was there when he left and, and had that trouble in Thessalonica. And even now that he's in prison, they're still taking care of him. They've, they've received an, an offering for him and then sent it to him through Epaphroditus. That's the, the picture that we get. He, he even calls that a, a fragrant offering, a, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. You get some, some Old Testament language there. And then the, right. the section that we have concludes that, that my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus, which would be another verse I think that would be easy to, to take out of context. Uh, Pastor Busman, how does, he, oh, how does he bring this to conclusion here? Oh, you, can, you, can, you can hear the, hear the TV preachers going now, can't you? <laughs> my God will supply every need. You, know, give, you give me this and I'll give you this kind of thing. Right. But, but we, need to, we need to hear what Paul is saying. Um, my God will supply every need of yours. Well, he continues. Right? He doesn't stop there. According to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Well, what was the cross all about? Uh, Christ defeating sin, death, and the devil, yet not to keep that victory to himself, but to share in the spoils uh, through baptism. So he will give you every need of yours. What do you need? Uh, you think about the guy being lowered through the roof, the paralytic, by his friends. Uh, Jesus doesn't just tell him to get up and walk. He gives him what he needs. What does he need? He needs the forgiveness of sins. Uh, he'll supply every need of yours, the forgiveness of sins. This is what Christ has, has won. These are the riches in his glory. This is why we give thanks. This is why we rejoice. This is why in whatever situation we are content because our sins uh, are not held over us. No matter what the devil says, no matter what the world can throw at us, our sins, your sins are forgiven and God gives it to you freely. what a what a great thing! So you know you can really see as the letter as the letter wraps up why Paul is able to rejoice even though he's in prison. Why Paul was able to rejoice even though he was almost stoned to death. Why Paul is able to rejoice when he's sitting amongst friends and nothing is is going on, whether high or low. There's there's rejoicing all the time with him because of the forgiveness of sins that that Jesus Christ has won for us on the cross. Pastor Busman, we have just about three minutes left here on the morning. As we as we wrap things up today, perhaps the, the best way to do so is just to, to put this into the context of, of Thanksgiving. That's why we're talking about this text today, because it is the appointed text for Thanksgiving. How, how does this text inform what it means for us as Christians to celebrate this holiday called Thanksgiving? So much. Uh, certainly first article stuff, just 
when 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 is the last time we've stopped to give thanks that, that we have a body and soul, eyes, ears, uh, all my members, reasoning and senses and food and drink, house and home, wife and children. Not everybody has these things, and may and maybe some of some of the hearers this morning uh, don't. Uh, this is this is also what what God has given us the church for, given us a new familial identity as brothers and sisters in Christ that we may that we may rejoice with one another, that we may suffer with one another, uh, that we give thanks to God for everything from the from the air we breathe all the way to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. So it's it's one of these days that that. Uh, whether Christian or not, people are stopping to give thanks for what they have, and and for us as Christians, it, it may be one of those opportunities that we that we have with people who don't know Jesus to, uh, like Paul, sees the people worshiping, and uh, the altar says to the unknown God, and and for us to be able to point to people and say. What what you see is unknown. You know what you see is is maybe uh, uh, just thanking whoever for whatever. Let me tell you who the one is who's given you all this, and um, from 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 small to large, uh, and and everything in between, to uh, to give thanks to the to the one who who created it, who gives it, and who sustains us uh, in everything that we that we experience in this life. Pastor John Busman is the pastor at St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Coleman, Alabama, helping us this morning with Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 20. Pastor Busman, thank you so much for your time today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Have a happy Thanksgiving, everyone. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thanks for spending part of your Thanksgiving with us. We pray that it is a blessed one indeed. We'll talk to you again tomorrow.